This is Annie Stevens Gleason, Minister for Worship and Incorporation here at the Episcopal Church of the Redeemer. We continue to have conversation around becoming beloved community. The Episcopal Church's long-term commitment to racial healing, reconciliation, and justice. Becoming beloved community represents not so much a set of programs as a journey, a set of interrelated commitments around which Episcopalians may organize our many efforts to respond to racial injustice and grow a community of reconcilers, justice makers, and healers. In this episode, we have Beth Bojarski joining us, a member of our Becoming Beloved Community Steering Committee. Well, welcome, Beth. Hey, thanks. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I, my name is Beth Bojarski. I've been at Redeemer a little over a year, uh, which is when we moved to Cincinnati from Southern California. So new culture, new world, new church, um, most probably um, widely known as uh, the wife of a clergy person here. Um, but outside of that, I'm the mom of two boys. Um, I am a hiker and a knitter and an environmental activist and um, spent most of my um, vocational life in camp and retreat center um, directorship and programs. Very good. Thanks. Yeah. And that's where, where Beth and I met each other <laughs> before this place. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so you've been a part of this Becoming Beloved community. Are you on the steering committee, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. And then the diocesan. The learning journey. Is learning that what that is? Well. So um, what what has been the why? Is there an experience or a time in your life or a relationship that has um, kind of thrown you into the why of doing this work? Yeah. <laughs> the, um, <laughs> when I was at the camp in Southern California, we were really intentional about inclusivity and openness and did a lot of that work around refugee populations and particularly LGBTQ community and uh, transgender and queer young people in particular. And we always were asking ourselves, how can we expand this racially? Um, but we're a bunch of, not entirely, but largely white, middle, upper income, rural um, folks, and and weren't really sure how to kind of break through that barrier. So we were doing some of that work and, and we're making um, some really positive strides. And then I moved to Cincinnati and realized through the course of the introductory work for the learning journey and my own reflection that <clears throat> part of what was keeping me or holding me back was that I had existed from childhood through adulthood in almost entirely white spaces. So um, rural central New York town, white middle and high school, largely white evangelical uh, Christian college, um, white organizations after that, and then the Episcopal Church, which right. is largely yeah. white. Um, outdoor recreation, it's also a largely white industry, although it's changing, and I'm excited for that. So when we moved to Cincinnati, we enrolled um, our oldest son in um, fifth grade at Bethany School, which is an Episcopal school here in town, and he was a minority. Um, not only in his class and in his school, but he was the only white kid on his basketball team. And it was the first time I, the second time in my life I had ever been a minority in a space. The first time was with Latino um, and Latina clergy in the Diocese of Los Angeles. And 
it blew my mind um, that I had never yeah. been in that kind of a space before. And it got me thinking and realizing and then living um, in the northern part of Cincinnati and driving to school every day, we drove through communities that were largely uh, African-American. And I realized how uncomfortable I was. Mm-hmm. And I realized when I went running um, that I was uncomfortable um, in ways that I wasn't proud of. And my own bias showed up um, from just years of conditioning. And I had to do something about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, and with yeah. that, is there something, what, what What have you learned by being involved in this this learning journey and this this work? Mostly I've learned that I have a lot to learn. Yeah. <laughs> like, it feels like a, a really broad um, answer, but that's the biggest piece for me. The more I learn, the more I um, unlearn, I think, right. previous thoughts and patterns. The more I catch myself, the more grace I have yeah. for myself um, as I do that. At first, I was really hard on myself. Um, so I'm learning. I'm learning grace. I'm learning how to push myself. I'm learning how to lean into discomfort. Right, um, right. I am, you know, I read something and share it on social media and somebody says, have you read this? And so mm. I'm learning about the resources that are out there. Um, I'm learning how far um, we have to go culturally um, in the church in Cincinnati, um, in our country, learning um, more about how deep the hurt is for people and how to put myself on a shelf a little bit um, and listen to other people's stories and not make assumptions all of these that's all wrapped up in in that learning for me it's it's not like a I've learned these three things right (laughs) right well Um, yeah and so much of the work is looking to the unlearning and then we have to continually learn right after that part right um so I know that with your environmental activism and stewardship, um, I know that you've shared before that there's you see an intersection of, of that becoming beloved community. Could you share a little bit about that? Yeah. So to step back um, sort of philosophically, yeah, totally. um, I was introduced to a theologian, eco-theologian um, called Sally McFaig. Her name is Sally McFaig uh, when I was in grad school. And she writes... Um, about the I and thou and, and looking outside of ourselves with a loving eye versus an arrogant eye. So she mm. borrows Martin Buber's um, approach um, to seeing outside of ourselves. So if we see what is outside of ourselves, whether it's a tree or a homeless person or a person who's different from us in any number of ways um, as an object, which is often what we do, what we're trained to do, then it's easy to objectify um, that other person or being. Um, and when we do that, then it, we don't build a relationship with that person. We instead intentionally or unintentionally build um, a hierarchy and assumptions. When we, and, and that, and so McFaig calls that um, the arrogant eye. Mm-hmm. When we see the other or what's outside of ourselves um, as a subject, then we are inherently drawn into relationship with that yeah. other thing. And yeah. when we're drawn into relationship um, and we use what McFaig would call the loving eye, then we have the opportunity to learn and grow and change as a result of that other thing and be in relationship. Mm. And so for me, this is really important in my my environmental ethic. When I see that which is outside of myself in the natural world, 
as a subject, as something that is um, created by and loved by God, and I'm in relationship with that thing, um, then I am compelled um, to care for that yeah. thing, right? To serve it and guard it. And so whether it's because of, like, whether that manifests itself in what I eat or how my children play um, or what I notice, I'm also really heavily influenced by Mary Oliver. Yeah, um, yeah who writes instructions for living a life, pay attention, be astonished, tell about it. And that's a huge motivation for me as well. Um, And that really, when I was, um, I realized at some point, one of my first jobs after college was working uh, in a homeless shelter and working with at-risk youth in Syracuse. And I realized, I think that her philosophy influenced me before I knew it. When we see people, um, I would cross paths with all the time walking into the office and we see other people as a subject as um you know creations of god right and we love them even if we don't know what we should do about it right we don't know if we should give folks money or we don't know if we should smile or we don't know all of those things but if we see the other as someone someone rather than as uh an object right um we interact differently. Yeah, yeah. So. I and just tangentially, I was a, a friend of mine who he, he was formerly homeless. Um, he he always said to me, "Look them in the eye. Yeah. Look, look. Well, we, that could go for anyone in the world, right? Yeah. But um, just giving that worth. Um, yes. Meant everything. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Worthiness. Right. Yeah. So Brene Brown is right. also <laughs> big, right? So, but we when we recognize our own worthiness, but then. Um, seek to identify the worthiness in other people. Right, it's, right. It really comes back to relationship. Yep, relationship so, and, and stories. And, and learning our own stories so yep. then we can, can, can continue to learn. Yeah. So would you have any advice for, for folks um, from this work? Yeah, I think the biggest thing um, for me is, well, one, humility. <laughs> yeah. Um, but is about paying attention to what's happening in my own head mm-hmm. is a really big first part of it. So realizing when I'm making assumptions about people that I'm driving by or that I'm interacting with, realizing, like recognizing my own discomfort um, and then not letting that go, even if it's in my own head. I think it helps to have um, like a thought or conversation partner or a group of folks um, or a class or, you know, to engage beyond and finding a journey. But I think a big part of the learning journey for me is um, – realize catching myself um and allowing some grace and then asking myself why or where that comes from so right. if I'm listening to a story on the news or you know any of any of these um my children I think catching them making assumptions and saying where do you think that comes from why do mm-hmm. you why do you think I feel that way or you feel that way um and then if we're not happy with what we assess um, than making shifts or changes right. is a really big. So it's kind of like rewiring yeah. our brain um, from, you know, when it comes to racism, from the whiteness that we're just doused in um, all the time, every day, um, and rewriting that story um, and then expanding that circle. So it's my own story, but now I'm going to work to expand my church's story or change my church's story or this community right. or school or whatever that is. Right. Um, you went to Proctor for the, the Becoming Beloved Community um, 
convocation. Convocation. I did. Yeah. What was what was your experience there? Uh, that Stephanie Spellers is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and I think for me, what I'm th- what I really appreciated about her is that she externally anyway I don't know about her um, insides but she was fearless Mm. and she told the truth in a way that I think um, we're often afraid to we're afraid of offending people and we probably should get over that yep yeah so much of that has come up is um, this truth telling and and Mm. even in in what you've said here um, being truthful to ourselves yeah yeah I think that's so much so much of the work yeah um So thank you, Beth. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Join us in our conversations here as we continue our commitment to becoming beloved community at the Episcopal Church of the Redeemer in the Queen of the Midwest, Cincinnati, Ohio. All right. Are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. You're totally ready.